0: The title of today's sermon is Gospel Work at Work. Now, if you were to look around this room, and if you were to count up all of those in this room who are are in the gospel ministry, who would you include in that number? You might say, oh, it's the elders. We include them. Okay, and that's true. You say, well, definitely deacons, since they are servants. Deacon means servant, minister. So they're ministering in the gospel ministry. That's true. But also you should include everyone else that's a member of this church. Because the scripture actually teaches us that all of us who are in Christ are called to minister in the gospel ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 says that pastors are to equip the saints, that's members, believers in the church, for the work of the ministry. The idea is to do the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. Every one of us in here is to be ministering for the Lord and unto the Lord. There's no such thing as those who are spectators, and those who minister. We are all ministers. The Bible says that he has given us grace. We have each of us have received grace, and that's the idea of gift there. It's a gift of grace, and we're to use that to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace and there's two different categories in which that, those ministries take place. There's those who speak the word, those who speak the oracles of God. There's those who serve in the ability which God gives. There's those who support the word. So you really could put ministry into two categories, speaking the word and <clears throat> supporting the word. So you can speak the word if you teach a class, maybe a children's class, or if you or a father, or even a grandfather, and you read the Bible to your children or your grandchildren. You might minister the word by telling the gospel to your neighbor. When we sang just now, we all ministered the word together. You, you were a part of ministering the word this morning. You can support the word. These guys in the back that are doing the AV stuff, they're supporting the ministry of the word. On Thursday nights, or I should say on Wednesday nights, the music team in here, they have a practice, and they, those guys come to that, and there's other people that come, and there's, there's some people, particularly one teenage girl, but some, some people babysit for those who do this ministry. In other words, that person is supporting the word in that way. When you pray for one another, you're supporting the word, the ministry of the word. When you write an encouraging note to someone, you put a Bible verse on there, you're, you're a part of the ministry of the word. And, and the point is this, is that we are all, to be diligently working about our father's business, and so 1 Corinthians chapter sixteen, verse five through really verse number eleven, we're going to go to that. We see Paul give his philosophy of ministry. It's like Paul pr- pulls back the curtain of his ministry and he says, "This is why I do what I do. This is my. This is a practically what what ministry looks like." And so he gives us a biblical philosophy of ministry, or you could say he gives a biblical philosophy of life because life is ministry. Like Jesus said, I came to serve. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And we follow in the steps of Christ. And so we, we live our life in service of our King, Jesus. And so the point is here, what we're going to see in this text is we're going to see a Biblical philosophy of ministry and of life. And so what is that? So I've summed it up in this. And we're just going to go through this phrase here this morning in this passage and see what the gospel ministry is. It's the gospel work at work. And what is it? Well, it's sacrificial work for the Lord to people to speak or support the word which involves planning by faith, taking gospel opportunities, and expecting obstacles. So the gospel ministry is sacrificial work. It's for the Lord. It's to people. It's speaking and supporting his word, and it involves planning by faith. It involves taking gospel opportunities, and it involves expecting obstacles. And so first, let's notice the effort, the effort of ministry. Gospel ministry is sacrificial work. Gospel ministry is sacrificial work. In fact, I would like to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're actually going to go back to that chapter. And I want you to notice that this is what he's talking about in chapter 16 is gospel ministry. So look at chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 1. He says, Now... I would remind you, brothers, brothers and sisters, those in the church here, of the gospel, that's the good news I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he's saying, you believe the gospel, so what is the gospel? Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of First importance. Here's the most important message. And listen, if the gospel is the most important message, then serving in gospel ministry is the most important activity. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So the good news is found there in verse 3, and that is that Christ died for my sins. And may we never get over that right there. I have greatly sinned against God. I have lied. I have lusted. I have coveted. I've been ungrateful. I've defied God. I've been sinfully angry. And God, in turn, demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ came to this world and he lived a holy life he lived an obedient life that we have not lived, and he died in my place. That's the gospel. But not only that, he rose again, and now he's in heaven, and he invites all those who come to him in faith. And he invites us to come to him in faith to receive life and forgiveness, to receive the grace that he offers. And so notice in verse number 10, Paul recounts this even for himself. And this grace changed his life. He says, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. In other words, the reason I'm saved, the reason I'm a child of God, the reason I'm forgiven, the reason I've been adopted is because of God's grace. That's why I am who I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder. So here's Paul describing his gospel ministry. He's saying, I worked hard and it's not because he was trying to earn something from God. No, because he says in there, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. He's saying, well, he's not saying, I, tr- I worked hard so I could maybe have God like me. He's saying, God has showed me so much favor. I was like, I can't help but, but serve him. You know, Paul, Paul was like a, a jet plane that was broken down on the trash heap, and God restored Paul. And, he, and, and Paul was filled with the, the gospel fuel of grace. But Paul was not sitting on the tarmac. He was not waiting to fly. Paul took off and he kept going. And he went to Asia Minor. He went to Macedonia. He went to Greece. And Paul just kept going and going in life because the gospel of grace fueled his soul. And, and you know, the more we love Christ, the more we appreciate the gospel, the more grace fills our soul, the more we're fueled to serve other people. The more we love God, the more we will love others. That's what he's talking about here. And then go down to verse 57. Because he talks about this grace in in chapter 15. He talks about how this grace will lead us home, will give us a new body, a new world to live in with Christ and glory. Verse 57, he shouts praise, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 58, therefore, what's the result? What's the result of receiving God's grace? Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. That means remain committed to Christ. Be immovable. That means you're not easily blown down. Always abounding. That's the idea that it's flowing over the edges. Always abounding in what? What are we always to be abounding in? It says, in the work of the Lord. And why? Knowing that your labor is not in vain in him. Amy Carmichael, this is a picture of her up there. She was 83 years young when she passed away in 1951. She served God in India for 55 years without a furlough. For the last 20 years of her life, she served the Lord while she was crippled and in constant pain, and yet she did not go home. She served the outcast. She rescued children, particularly those who were being trafficked and prostituted in the Hindu temples. She advocated for them, rescued over a 1,000 children. Her ministry, actually, interesting enough, was more of a support ministry She supported the word as Mr. Thomas Walker uh, led that ministry and pastored churches and trained up men to pastor churches. Someone wrote her and asked her this, what is missionary life like? And this is what she wrote back. It is a chance to die. What she was saying there is this, is that, I mean, she would write these things and people would read about these stories in India and they're like, oh, we wanna go over there too. And she's like, if you wanna come to India and serve God, come on over, it's a chance for you to die. To to die to yourself, there's a a lot of sacrifice involved, but you get to live under Christ, you get to serve him. Truly, her life was one of sacrifice for Christ. And where did that happen? Where did that start? Where Where did all that originate from? But well, when she was 17 years of age, she gave her life to Christ, and she began to read the word, and there was a particular passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that got a hold of her heart that talked about how she, she wanted to do works for the Lord that lasted beyond this life. She wanted works that were made of, of gold and, and silver and precious stones, not physically, but the idea is that they would last beyond this world. And one day she saw these girls walking about that were called mill girls. They worked in the factories. This is in the, the late 1800s. And so these poor girls who worked in the factories, they were so poor that they couldn't wear hats. And back then all girls wore hats. And they, they actually had to just put a piece of cloth over their head. And she, her heart went out to them. And she went and ministered to them with two teenage boys, went to the slums. And from age 17... She kept abounding in the work of the Lord until she was 83 years of age. It was how she lived her life. That's what he's talking about here. Gospel work is sacrificial work. In fact, notice in chapter 16, verse 5. Here, this is where Paul pulls back and says, "Here, let me show you my philosophy of ministry. Let me show you what my ministry is like. And it's just really practical. Verse 5 says, Paul says, I will visit you. That's the church in Corinth he's writing to. After passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Now, you see all those regions Macedonia, winter, all that. What do you think about? Well, if you were to look at a map of Paul's third missionary journey, which is what he's talking about here. And think about all those cities he went to. You would think about him walking to each town, like on Roman roads. Like he didn't get in his Uber and go there, right? I mean, he he walked, I mean he might he might have taken a ship a couple, you know, he didn't swim across those places right there, but he walked to those places, didn't he? He walked from city to city. I mean, that's tiring. I mean, we get on an airplane and we fly back from like Denver and we get off, we're like, oh, I'm so tired, you know. I watched, I watched a movie and now I has got to go to bed. <laughs> it's like, what? I mean, Paul was genuinely a person who gave of himself physically, spiritually, mentally. In fact, he's, he wrote this to the Philippian church that he was like this drink offering poured out for them. Paul described his life like a, a drink offering poured out on the altar of God. And he would pour out his life for Christ. In other words, Paul is here, He says, I'm giving my all for Christ. Would you say that you are giving your all for Christ? Christ has given his all for us. Are we serving him with our whole heart? So Paul says he did. A A British preacher said this, ministry that costs you nothing accomplishes nothing. Meditate on that. Ministry that costs you nothing accomplishes nothing. True ministry requires a cost, a sacrifice. There's a, there's a sense that we say, I'm going to give this up so I can serve in this way. And so s- some of the people here this morning, like these people got up very early this morning to come here to, to serve you. In fact, some of you decided that you were not going to sleep in this morning you decided that you were, last night, you're going to go to bed early so you could be rested for today. You're going to get up early this morning. You're going to prepare your heart, maybe even show up early. You don't even have responsibilities, but you want to do that because you want to talk to people, administer to people. So you see the point? Is that, is that Actually, it's a mindset that says, I, I'm here on this, in this world, not just to be like, oh, I need some sleep, and, and I need some me time, and, and I got to get my coffee, and I just want to like, no, it's, I'm saying, okay, how can I how can I give up what I want for the sake of Christ? That's what Christ calls us to. Take up your cross, Christ said, and follow me. That's sacrifice. Notice verse number six. You can see that the Corinthian church also had this sacrificial ministry. Verse six, in the middle of the verse, Paul said, I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey. So the church likely helped Paul with with food and housing and probably some financial expenses. So think about what that would involve for a church. Someone opening up their home, someone cooking a meal, someone giving in the offering. The point is, even the church was a part of this. This is what we're seeing here to advance the gospel. Then notice verse number seven. For, Paul goes on to say, I do not want to see you Now, just in passing, I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. What was Paul's sacrificial work in verse 7? Look at verse 7 and see if you can identify what Paul's sacrificial work was. I think this is the most precious resource a person can give. What do you think it is? It's a four-letter word. It's time. That's right. It's time. I hope to spend some time with you. Sometimes people think gospel ministry is just what I'm doing right here, or um, maybe you know, a, a teaching opportunity somebody has. But can I tell you that that is gospel ministry, don't get me wrong, okay? The gospel ministry is sometimes just going on a walk with someone and spending time with them. I mean, all gospel ministry takes time takes time to prepare, takes time to do it. But when you're doing that, what you're doing is saying, I'm going to give up what I would spend my time on so I can spend time with this person. But it doesn't have to be even a a real elaborate thing. It can just be like, I want to spend time with you. And so, you know, inviting someone to your house for a meal, just visiting someone, that's ministry because you're giving of your time. And it can be an opportunity for you to minister to that person. I mean, even showing up right here, do you realize just being here on Sunday morning and just being with each other, spending that time is actually an opportunity to minister to one another. Sometimes people think about, well, I don't have anything to do on Sunday morning. Yes, you do. Show up. (laughs) Because showing up is spending time with people and encouraging people. Last Sunday night, we had a five o'clock gathering in Ankles preach Psalm 139, and it was such an encouraging time. We heard some teens give some testimonies, some other members in the church, and that just encouraged me, and then we heard him preach Psalm 139, and throughout the whole week, it kind of, that service, like, lifted me up, and I'm, on my mind as I'm thinking about God is omnipotent, God is omniscient, God is omnipresent, and if you don't know what those words mean, then you should have come to that, but... And, and God search me and, and know my heart, try me, know my thoughts. You see, what I'm, my point is he ministered the word to us, but also we were able to minister to each other. And, and so those are very important times for us to do that. So the question I think we have to ask is, are you willing to do the gospel ministry of just spending time with people? Verse number eight, Paul says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effectual work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. So Paul did the Lord's work in Ephesus. And then notice in verse number 10, he sent Timothy, Pastor Timothy, back to Corinth to minister to them. Verse 10, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the what? The work of God. The Lord. So you see it right there? Even Timothy is a part of this. He says, as I am. What you see in these verses and is many different believers who are giving up what they want, what they maybe desire just selfishly, and they are unselfishly serving the Lord and other people. So notice next, the gospel ministry is, Is sacrificial work, but it's also, notice the owner of the ministry is the Lord. It's sacrificial ministry for the Lord. And so you can notice that, go to chapter 15, verse 58, the last verse of chapter 15. Notice 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Notice we're always abounding in the work, what? Of the Lord. Go to chapter 16 and verse 7. He says, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. He's the one in charge. How about chapter 16, verse 10? Timothy is doing the work of the Lord. And so what you're seeing here is that any gospel work that we do is for the Lord. Our gospel work must be done for Christ, It must be done in the power of Christ's spirit, gospel work must be motivated because of the love of Christ. Gospel work must be done for the glory of Christ. Gospel work is done in worship of Christ. That's what it's talking about here. It's for the Lord. He's the owner. Like, we don't own this church. We don't own these people. We don't. The Lord owns it, and so we do all unto him. And then next, notice the gospel ministry is sacrificial work for the Lord, and it's to people. And this one might seem obvious. Obviously, ministry is to people, but this is such an important one because many times we can we can miss the point of the ministry. And the point of the ministry is to minister to people. Gospel ministry is not about a position, it's not about prominence. It's not even about fulfillment, although there is a sense of fulfillment you receive from it, but it's not the point. Gospel ministry must be motivated by love. Remember 1 Corinthians 13? If I, I give away all that I have, if I deliver my body to be burned, but I don't have love, like it profits me nothing. My ministry means nothing if it doesn't have love. And what you see here with Paul is Paul's a, a person who's ministering to the Corinthians. He loves these people. That, that's Paul's heart. He says, 1 Thessalonians 2 8, so, being affectionately desirous of you, he's like, I love you so much. How much, Paul? We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God. Okay, so that's that's important. It's gospel ministry. You should share that in ministry, right? But he says, but also our own selves because you had become dear to us. He says, I'm just I'm giving my life over to you because I love you that much, Paul said in Philippians 1.8, for God is my witness, how I yearn, yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. Second Corinthians 12.15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Paul's love, Paul's time, Paul's efforts were like, were like money in the bank. And Paul's like, I'm going to go withdraw all of it, and I'm going to keep giving it to you because I love you. That's the heart of Paul. He loved souls. Do you love souls? Like, Do we, do we genuinely love people? If you, if you are ministering on a regular basis, and by the way, either you, if you're a, a believer and you're even in your home or you're in your community or you're in our church here and with other people, you're, you're always ministering in some way. So it's not just confined to these four corners here. If you're ministering, are you truly ministering because you love people? This is what David Brainerd wrote in his journal, 1743. He wrote this at 25 years of age about his really grueling work that he had to the outcast Native Americans, and he went and lived among them. And this is what he said about his ministry with them. I care not where I go or how I live or what I endure so that I may save souls. When I sleep, I dream of them. I dream of souls. When I awake, they are are first in my thoughts. No amount of scholastic attainment, of able and profound exposition, of brilliant and stirring eloquence can atone for the absence of a deep, impassioned, sympathetic love for human souls. You can see why so many... Men and women who have read his journals were called to the mission field after they read about his love for people. Then the vision of ministry. Notice the vision of ministry means that gospel ministry involves planning by faith, planning by faith. In verses 5 through 7, you can see Paul's itinerary, his plans. Really, it's his vision for reaching people for Christ. Notice verse 5 just going to just going to skip through a couple of these verse 5 I will visit you after passing through Macedonia and then he says I will stay with you and even spend the winter verse number 8 I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost verse 10 I'm going to send Timothy down to you and then he's going to come back and what you see here is Paul making ministry plans you know some people sit back and they think you know well I'm not involved in anything because nobody's asked me to do anything well, actually, it's upon you to say, what, what do I desire to do? What's God called me to do? And to, and to go do something for Christ. And maybe for you, you need to call someone up and say, Hey, can I help with this? Can I volunteer with this? Some people have the mindset that, Well, I don't, I don't like to plan things. I just want the Holy Spirit to lead me. That is not a biblical philosophy of ministry. Because what you see with Paul, he's making plans. Like the Bible says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, Proverbs 21.5. So actually it's godly, it's righteous to make plans. Proverbs 6, 6 and 8, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Ants are wise because they plan. And those who are in gospel ministry will have wisdom to plan. An effective gospel ministry is like a gospel ant who plans ahead for future gospel ministry. And that's one of the reasons why we try to and have a calendar and we try to keep that updated. It's one of the reasons we have signups. One of the reasons that we have in the bulletin that scripture memory verses in there because we want to help you plan to meditate on God's word. It's one of the reasons why we have on Thursday nights the the catechism format for true trackers for kids. So, so parents, you can disciple your kids and it's a plan for you. It's, it's to help you be able to disciple. John MacArthur said this, the one who does the Lord's work in the Lord's way, first of all, must have a vision for future ministry. Anybody who really is at the Lord's work, who's really committed to it, who is really sold out, is going to find that because his heart is so motivated and because his love is so consuming that he's going to see needs that he hasn't touched. He's going to always be planning how to meet those needs. He's got the forward look. He's got vision in his heart. He's going to be working right now and he's going to be looking ahead to what's got to be done. So what's your plan? You have neighbors. Okay, What's your plan to love them and to reach them for Christ? And parents, I just mentioned earlier about discipling your kids. What are you doing right now for that? What's your plan? Young people, there's a lot of young people in this town that need Christ. And can I just tell you, when they're children and teenagers, that's a really a wonderful age for them to consider their life and to consider eternity. What are you doing to reach them for Christ? In a couple weeks, the young adults are going to gather and they're going to go out and try to reach our community. That's planning. We have a three and three basketball tournament in March. And the purpose of that is for children and teenagers to come here and play basketball, but also to reach them for Christ. It's a plan. I had someone ask me once, is it going to work? I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Because that's what's interesting about plans. Because even the plans that Paul made here, do you realize that these plans didn't work out this way? It wasn't like, these aren't, these aren't like Paul being able to see the future and say, I'm doing this and this because I can see the future. Now he's saying, I'm, I'm going to do this. Because notice he says in verse number seven at the very end, he says, if the Lord permits, if God wills. So he made plans. That's wise to do. But you're also doing that by faith. You're trusting that God is the one who directs your steps. Man plans. Many, sorry, Many plans are in a man's heart but the counsel of the Lord will stand. And so the idea is that you should plan, and as you're doing that, you trust God. And if your plans change, then you continue to trust God. And trust that God's the one that's directing your steps. William Carey was a shoe cobbler, and he had planned to go to India before really any Missionaries had even thought about going over there. There was one part of India that the British occupied that they allowed some missionaries to be there. Basically, you could minister to the English, but not to the Indians. But William Carey, he had a heart. He said, I mean, he thought, I want to go to those people who aren't reached. Age 20, he married his love of his life, Dolly. They had a baby named Anne. But William Carey was very poor. He was a poor cobbler, so he didn't have money to go to school. So all he could do was study on his own. So he's, he taught himself Greek and Hebrew and theology. He, he preached as, as many times as he possibly could. Sometimes in the street corner, he would volunteer for churches and for classes. Eventually, someone, or church, um, invited him to come be their pastor. But it was a very, very small little Baptist church, and they just basically gave him a donation every week. So he still was a cobbler and still doing this. He wanted to be ordained, and so he tried to get ordained in this denomination. And, and after he went through the ordination service, he preached, and they said, we don't like your sermon, so you're, we're not going to ordain you. I mean, he kept having these obstacles. In fact, at one point, he had a relative die, and he had to take care of that, that wife and the children. While he was a cobbler, while he was preaching the gospel, and he's like, I want to go to India. But honestly, it seemed impossible. But he made plans, and you can see on the wall there, he had, a, he had a map of the world, and he prayed, God, please let me go. But as he was praying for God to let him go, he was serving now. Eventually, he was able to go. And this is his philosophy of making plans. William Carey said this, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. That's planning. God, you can do great things. I'm going to see how it goes. (laughs) I'm going to plan. And listen to what God did through William Carey. He began dozens of school for Indian children of all castes. They had a caste system. He did it for all castes. He launched the first college in Asia. He started schools for girls, really the first of their kind. He was the first man to stand up to the ruthless murders and widespread oppression of women. When a baby was born, if it was a girl, many times they killed it because girls weren't considered valuable. Women were not allowed to read. There was forced illiteracy because they didn't think they had the value in that Indian culture and those cultures that they had there. Women, oh, if your, if your husband died and you were a widow, then they put you on top of your husband and they burned you alive with him. He stood up to it. He said, This isn't right. This is wrong. He was the first to, well, actually, there was no printed literature in the Bengali language. So he created a grammar book, and he translated the entire Bible into that language. He translated part or the whole scripture into over 40 different Indian languages. He expected great things from God, and he attempted great things for God. It wasn't because life worked out perfect. It's because he just kept going. In fact, most um, people believe, most theologians believe that, or historians, that he was the one who was able to open up the gospel around the world. And so you can see in verse number seven, it's this idea that if God permits, if God wills, and, and some people are like, I'm just looking for God's will in my life. Well, first of all, let's say this. This is God's will. So this is revealed. You You can read this and know exactly what God wants you to do. There's also, you know, God's providential will. You're never going to know that until it happens, (laughs) right? I mean, some people are like, I'm just praying that God would show me what to do someday. Well, how about you do something today and make a plan for someday and trust God along the way? I didn't mean to rhyme that, but. And so that means then sometimes it means The gospel vision steps through gospel doors. and So gospel ministry is sacrificial work for the Lord to people to speak or support the word, which involves planning by faith and notice also taking gospel opportunities. I love verse number nine. Let's start in verse eight. But I would stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effectual work has been opened to me. You've probably heard of people saying, you know, well, God closed that door or God opened that door and that's why I did it. And that's, this is kind of the idea where they get this from. There's a couple of passages where Paul uses this, this idea of an open door. And some people have this idea that, well, this is speaking about, you know, some people use it, I should say, in the way where it's like, you know, I, I, I wanted to buy a car and God opened the door for me to buy that car. But actually, it's not, just talk, it's not talking about just uh, opportunities you have or, you know, I could buy this house, but I didn't so that God closed the door. It's not talking about that. The open doors in the scripture are talking about gospel doors. So God opening gospel doors. So it actually might be more accurate if someone was going to talk about maybe, let's say, a car, okay? So, you know, you think, uh, I bought this car and God opened the door for that. Well, probably more accurate if, if that car broke down a bunch of times and you're always the mechanic. And you're talking about that car and you say, "You know, God opened the door for me to have this car." Because it never works. And I get to give the gospel to the mechanic every week, <laughs> right? Does that make sense? Like the gospel, the door is a gospel door, it's a gospel opportunity. In fact, in Acts 14:27, Paul says, "God has opened a door of faith to the Gentiles." Colossians 4:3, "Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ. I'm giving you a lot of examples. because I really want to show this like, to you in real life with real people who have lived these this life before. George Mueller ministered in the early 1800s in England. In those days, poor kids worked in factories. They didn't get an education. They were many times just abandoned on the street, especially if there was no family to take care of them. But listen, I'm going to tell you the end of his ministry and then kind of how it began. He cared for over 10,000 orphans in his life. He started 117 schools that provided education for over 120,000 children, most of them in poverty. In 17 years of his ministry, he preached over 3 million people. He raised $7 million to care for orphans, and he never sent out one letter to ask for it. He just prayed. Now, how did that all come about? What's the grace of God? But, but listen to what he says. This is what he's saying to you, okay? He's saying to us as gospel workers, he says, work. Walk through every open door. Be ready in season and out of season as if everything depended on your labor. This is one of the great secrets in connection with successful service for the Lord, Work as if everything depended on your diligence and trust in the blessing of the Lord to bring success. Did you catch that? We are to work as if this church depends on us. And it's not that you don't depend on the Lord. He's saying, though, that's, that's, that's how you labor. You say, I am serving here with all my might for the Lord, and I'm trusting that God's the one who blesses. And so I would encourage us, church, look for gospel opportunities. Look for them in your home. Look for them at work. Look for them amongst the people here. And then, last of all, notice the doors of ministry, and then notice the trials of ministry. Expect obstacles. Gospel ministry means, or I should say, involves expecting adversaries. Notice verse number nine. A wide door for effectual work has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Isaac, my son, and I went to someone's house uh, to visit them and knocked on their door. We didn't know this family or this person. It was a lady. And uh, so we didn't really know what we're getting into, but we went up and knocked on our door. And once we did, we heard dogs barking, and it sounded like a whole hound of dogs was in there like it was it was the big dogs you know I'm talking about it was one of those things where I knocked and I jumped back when I heard him and this lady uh, was going to come to the door and she actually came to the door and turned the knob and we're all going I'm I'm ready to run you know I told Isaac I was going to push him down so I could get away and I figured the dogs would go after him but (laughs) I wouldn't have really done that well it didn't happen just put it that way But the lady opened the door and uh, and she had put the dogs back, but I mean we could still hear them barking and stuff. And you know, when you have a door opens like that, and especially if we were to walk through it, like you expect it to be safe, you expect everything to work out wonderful, right? You don't really want to meet a bunch of dogs. But here what the scripture is saying is God opens the door, a wide door, it's effectual, the gospel's at work. And guess what? It's inside. It's a bunch of dogs waiting for you. Like many adversaries. What's interesting is both those go together. It's not like, it's not, they're not separate. He's saying there's a wide door and there's many adversaries. I mean, we should expect obstacles. Sometimes people walk through gospel doors like, oh, there's problems in here. I got to get out of this, you know? And what God's saying is actually when you walk through the gospel door, there's going to be problems on the other side. I mean, Paul walked into Ephesus. He's like, wow, the gospel is working here. But do you realize there was so much demonic oppression in Ephesus? I mean, Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against demons, right? Against spiritual powers. In fact, if you look in Acts chapter 18, what you see, I think it's Acts 18. Well, if you look at the passage, I think it's Acts 18. Yeah, Acts 18, what you'll see is that the people were saved out of demonic worship and they burned their magic books. And those books were worth millions of dollars, the scripture talks about. And so you see this demonic oppression And Paul wasn't like, i got to get out of there. There's a lot of problems in this town. He's like, great gospel opportunity, a lot of adversaries. God opens doors, and he also sovereignly places adversaries in those places. This word adversaries is really interesting. I looked up the Greek word for this, and I found it in Galatians 5.17, where it talks about the The battle between the flesh and the spirit. And you know, they are opposed to each other. They're adversaries. And one of your greatest adversaries is yourself. right? Isn't that how it is? One of our greatest adversaries is actually me. Look in the mirror. When I don't trust the Lord, when I depend on my own flesh. Gospel ministry is hard, isn't it? It's tiring. I mean, dealing with people. If you are at work, and you deal with people on a regular basis. I mean, you're, it's, it's tiring, isn't it? Especially when you're dealing with people's souls. This is what Kent Hughes said. The Christian world is ministered to by tired people. Men, we have to understand that we will never do great things for God without the willingness to extend ourselves For the sake of the gospel, even when bone-tired. That's what it takes. Paul faced many adversaries. Sometimes they were people. Sometimes it was physical ailments. Sometimes it was demonic spirits. But what's amazing to see is the scripture talks about in in Acts chapter 18, talking about this Ephesian church and what God did there. And after all those problems are talked about, the scripture says, the word of the Lord continued to increase and mightily prevail, prevail mightily. Praise God for that. And actually God many times advances the gospel through those adversaries. We look at those adversaries, we're like, oh, I got to defeat them, right? But actually sometimes God says, I'm going to use that actually to accomplish the ministry. I mean, here you have Jesus, he's preaching the gospel and his parents, or his mom, I should say, in his siblings, they oppose him. They're like, go back home. We don't like this. You know, you have the, the uh, Sanhedrin, they condemn Jesus, and they say, stop doing this, and they kill him. He dies. God used that to save us, and he defeated death through resurrection. In, in the book of Acts, you see that the, the apostles are beaten, they're thrown to prison, and what did God do? Acts chapter 8, we see that the Believers spread throughout the world. In fact, this church in Corinth here received the gospel because believers spread. So what's amazing is God uses adversaries. So what is gospel ministry? And are you committed to gospel ministry? It's sacrificial work for the Lord to people to speak, support his word, which involves planning by faith, taking gospel opportunities, and expecting obstacles. Do you live like this right now? And if not, let's go to the Lord and ask him for help. And Can I just tell you, friend, if you're in here and you're without Christ, that God has a ministry to you. Jesus Christ came to minister to you, and his ministry is to save your soul. He calls all those who come into the world, who are born in the world, as ones who are lost, ones who are spiritually dead. Jesus came to find you, to seek, and then to save your soul. And he did that through his death and his resurrection. And if you turn to him in faith, he will save you. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll make you his own. And you will have the gift of eternal life. And I invite you today to trust in the Lord.